Hello, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As usual, I am your host, Laura Boyle of the blog Ready for Polyamory, here to talk with uh, Amy, formerly of the Coffee and Kink blog, who you can currently find online on Twitter as at Amy is Polyam, to talk about some strongly held convictions of ours that we try to hold rather gently and take care of on the subject of polyamory. So in this conversation, we're going to go into some of our thoughts about hierarchy and non-hierarchy and the general transitions people tend to make between different styles of polyamory, some big mistakes both of us have made in the years that we've been polyamorous, and a few other sort of hot button issues. I hope you enjoy the interview, and I promise I don't have this level of a head cold throughout the actual conversation. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Amy Norton. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. It's really good to talk to you. And I know we've been mutuals on Twitter for a while, um, so I know that you practice us or enjoy the idea of a slightly more hierarchical version of polyamory than I do. So I'm really excited to kind of get your perspective a little bit about this because over time I've floated further and further from that, but I can still see how it works well for some people. Do you mind for my followers and listeners who don't uh, know you particularly well introducing yourself a little? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Amy Norton. I am at Amy is Polyam on Twitter. If anyone wants to follow me on there, um, giving my you know hot takes on all things non-monogamy. Um, I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a sex writer. Um, and yeah, gosh, what else? What else do you want to know? Um, I mean, honestly, that's the sort of basics. How long have you been polyamorous for? Uh, pretty much my entire adult life. So I had my first polyam relationship when I was 18 and I'm 32 now. So, wow, what's that? 14 years, nearly. Right. So that's a pretty similar backstory. I started being polyamorous when I was 19 and I'm 34 now. So we're of a pace here. Um, But in kind of a general sense, I have noticed that both of us end up doing these back and forths online where we're talking about like, the sort of extremes that Facebook groups have gone to when talking about polyamory in... (laughs) Oh, God, they're so bad sometimes. Right. Sometimes it's terrible where they've all gone so far off the deep end of, like, you must be 110% autonomous. How dare you have emotional needs? Uh, And instead of actually talking about how to relate, they end up just being a series of buzzwords of, like, we are the most deeply non-hierarchical. We are so autonomous. And that kills me. And I can see from your things online that it also isn't something that sits well with you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that this, this is this is interesting. Um, my relationship structure now is, is actually definitely significantly less hierarchical than it was um, when my nesting partner and I first got together and first, even though we, we'd both been polyam before, we both came to it with some kind of negative bad experience, some kind of, sorry, let me try that again. Um, we both, even though we'd both been polyam before, we both came to it with some kind of negative past experiences and some baggage and things that we needed to kind of work through. And we, we sort of almost started again from the ground up with each other because of these, because we both had learned so much bad stuff from these past experiences we 
we kind of were like, okay, we're going to do this from the beginning, baby steps, as if we'd never done this before. And it, and it worked really well, actually, and we've definitely become kind of less overtly hierarchical as we've gone through, which I, I think is a good thing. I mean, um, like we switched from using the, like, the primary secondary language away from using that, for example, because we just found that it was getting... It, it didn't feel kind of right anymore, and it felt like it was giving an impression that we were more aggressively that way than we, I think we actually are now. Right. And I can't tell sort of in a wider community sense, but it seems a little bit like saying that you're in a hierarchical structure in like this primary secondary delineated structure has now become almost a like, mm, I'm losing the word that I want. It's become a little bit of a like thing that you can't admit anymore. It's a little bit taboo to be like, really, I have a primary partner. And so I find that lots of people who do effectively do that are still not using the language of it. Because it's like, well, we're only descriptively hierarchical. So I'm going to say that we're not. But right. these are the limits on my time, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. And something that I see that happens a lot. Um, I don't know who coined the term, but some people I've seen some people refer to it as like sneakyarchy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I see this a lot where people say that they're not hierarchical but they actually they, they, they really sort of are in some kind of way even if only tacitly and this is the thing I've realized is that you know I have I have a partner who I live with neither of us wants to live with anyone else ever um neither of us is interested in things like mingling finances or having children with mm -hmm. anyone else or having kind of legal entanglements like marriage with anyone else or any of that sort of thing so there is a de facto hierarchy even though we try very hard to keep it to, to, to keep it from spilling over into other relationships and we try very hard to, you know, give each other as much kind of autonomy and things as we as we can. But the reality that I think we have to be honest with people about is that there is there is that built in kind of de facto hierarchy, descriptive hierarchy if you want to call it that. And it's not that we have to love each other more than we can ever love anyone else. I mean I don't know how you'd quantify that anyway, but these these things that we've decided to do together are not going to be available to anyone else that we might date so if they're looking for that with us then it's maybe not a good fit does that make sense yeah it's the thing of you have set like a ceiling that you want other relationships to operate under logistically sure. even though emotionally there's no ceiling right and that's a thing that i find people struggling with the language for because hierarchy has become, like, a bad word. And so people don't want to say that that's what they're doing. But at the same time, it holds a function, right? It expresses that you have logistical ceilings sometimes. Yeah. So to, to give you an example of kind of the, the, the flip side of that, um, I was with a guy for five and a half years who was married. And it wasn't a great relationship in a bunch of ways, actually. But one of the, 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 the way that's pertinent to, to this particular discussion is that he always told me right from very early on oh yeah you can live with us someday we just need to get there we just need to get we just need to get to that point and someday we'll all live together and eventually i realized that there was no way that that was ever going to happen there was no actual way that his wife was ever going to agree to that mm -hmm. and i wish i'd known that from the beginning because if i'd known that from the beginning i would have kept that relationship in a very different space and i would have maybe sought a more 
escalate a relationship or a, a more sort of a relationship with the potential of nesting much earlier than I did. Um, and I think that, that dangling that possibility for years is much worse than saying, this is a thing that I cannot offer. Right. Setting appropriate expectations when you're co-creating something is necessary to actually have people be able to give informed consent to the relationship they're in. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so I have a partner now who I've been with for six and a half years, almost seven years, who we know that we're never going to move in together. But in the first years that we were together... That wasn't entirely clear. Mm -hmm. Like, we had other nesting partners, and then there was a brief little, like, bump of, oh, well, you're not with the person you were nesting with before. Maybe someday this could happen. And then it, within the next year, like, coalesced to, that's a silly castle in the air. We're not going to worry about that. Let's talk about what the practical areas we can actually grow in are. Right. And so... I think getting to that clarity about where you can and can't be in a relationship is really important for sort of knowing where you're going to be in the end, right? Not yeah. that it's necessarily an end, right? These things can go on as long as they're still good for everyone. Um, but knowing what that shape is so that you're not sitting there like, I wish I could have this becomes important for lack of a better word. Oh yeah, 100%, absolutely. And so when I see people sort of going off on the how dare you have hierarchy, I would rather that someone tells me that they have hierarchy than play the game of, well, there is no ceiling, we can go anywhere, but you can tell by people's reactions that there is a ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very, very possible for it to go way too far as well into the... Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something that my nesting partner always says which I, I think is is really smart actually is that he doesn't subscribe to like if you view it as a spectrum and i know this is imperfect but at the one hand you or the one end you have like extreme relationship anarchy and at the mm -hmm. other end you have like extreme hierarchy mm -hmm. and he feels like both of those things are kind of dysfunctional in their own ways and we pick and choose the bits that are good from each of these ideologies and found this kind of middle ground that that works and and I've definitely been burned by the very extreme hierarchy end of things um the the married guy I mentioned there was um his wife had a veto that had no um statute of limitations on it so I remember asking at one point so if we've been together 20 years and she wants to get rid of me and he was like yeah if she wants to get rid of you you'll you have to go and there was yeah and there was the some, face there was... I just made <laughs> And uh, yeah, there was another relationship where th there was it, it, it. There was so many. It seemed like we wanted the same things because it was we both kind of wanted a non a non nesting sort of secondary ish, but still kind of meaningful thing. But in the end, it turned out that there were so many rules that it was kind of functionally impossible to actually have the relationship. So that's that's the really extreme end that I I don't like and don't go anywhere near anymore. Yeah. Yeah, when you hit the, like, there are 13 rules about you may not see them on weekends at all, you may not see them in this manner, once you're up the escalator to a certain degree that you're allowed to be, well, I guess we could talk about weekends then, those people start being, like, 
So I guess I'll see you one Tuesday a month for the next 20 years. <laughs> and sometimes that works. Sometimes that's the availability you both have. But if it's set up by someone outside of you and one of you is going like, well, this Saturday, the week of my birthday, couldn't we do that? And they're like, no, and no someone on the outside gets to go, no, yeah. not at all. It is harder to sort of adjust through or things like, uh, folks having open phone policies and you only find out about it when it becomes an issue uh-huh. is one of my personal pet peeves because yeah. that has happened to me before where like, oh, I didn't know that your spouse read your texts. I would have not sent some of the spicy texts if I knew that, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. In an overall sense, I think communication about where people's expectations are kind of becomes the most important thing. But it then becomes a question of, like, well, at what point do you talk about which things? And I'm the person who's like, I'm neurodivergent and I need to set my expectations really well. Let's sit down and have a very awkward conversation as soon as we've decided (laughs) that this might be something to make sure it'll work. Oh, God, that's so relatable. Also neurodivergent. (laughs) It just... There are a lot of us, Um, I think, because we're used to looking at systems and going, why is that a system? We land in non-traditional relationships a little more often. Um, But it is sometimes off-putting to people that I'm like, no, let's understand what our landscape is before we start anything. And they're like, isn't that like unromantic and not letting things unfold? And I'm like, no, I'm then going to have a lot of scope for things to unfold within but I want to know what that scope is. Mm-hmm. Clear communication is very romantic. Very here for that. Right. It just... Because if that's unromantic, I'm sorry, we're not going to do well. Like... Yeah, absolutely. It's just like the people who are like, well, but is consent sexy? I'm like, absolutely it is. And if you can't ask me if I want things to happen while things are happening in a flowing kind of way, perhaps we're not the people for each other. Uh-huh. Yep. It's just one of those things where, like, I assume as someone who writes about sex, you end up having this conversation more often than I do even and not like, and going like, why is this a problem for you? What is, uh-huh. what about consent is so difficult for you? Right. What is, what about consent is so difficult for people? And also what about just clear communication about this stuff is so difficult why is it so hard to what and I know and I know why I know the answer is because we've all had these societal narratives pushed in us since childhood that the way to have a romantic relationship is to never talk about anything and to just somehow psychically intuit what the other person wants 100% of the time right if it's real love they'll be able to mind read Mm-hmm. Yeah. You will be exactly. imbued by psychic powers by the power of your love. <laughs> and like, that's just not how humans work. And if you set your expectations at this person needs to be able to read all of my needs and thoughts and feelings without me expressing them, you're setting yourself up for a bad time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as I, as I said something up to this effect on, on my Twitter the other day, Invariably, when people have tried to read my mind, it's gone really badly because they think that they know what I mean and what I want, and they're always really, really wrong. (laughs) And, like, the thing is, that's not unique. All of us, when we're trying to mind read, don't do super well, right? Right, exactly. 
you can know someone for five years, ten years, and still not know what they're thinking before they express it, right? Like, you can get to know your partner's patterns, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that, like, you can predict them in every circumstance. Right, absolutely. So, with all of that in mind, and you were talking about you've landed at this sort of middle ground regarding how hierarchical or not things are in given relationships, which is very relatable. Um, My most long-lasting relationships have all sort of sat in that middle ground and then shorter term ones I take this kind of relationship anarchist approach where I'm like well we'll see where it lands but we have to build it together and intentionally um which is the hard part people hear that and they're like I'm totally on board until you start asking them questions and then they're like why do we have to talk about these things So, like, keeping in mind that you intend to land at sort of a middle ground regarding hierarchy when you start something with someone new, what sorts of things do you think are important topics for people to cover if they're starting a new relationship? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. I think that the first sort of basic and possibly most important conversation is what do we want with each other? And... I think that sometimes the answer to that is we don't know yet and I think it's I think it's even important to have the conversation even if you don't know yet because acknowledging that is valuable in itself and I think the conversation can also even if you don't really know the specific shape that you want it to take which honestly very early on you, you probably don't because relationships do weird relationship things of their own <laughs> um, relationships get a relationship um, but I think it, it, if nothing else, it gives you a space, both of you or all of you, to, to put on the table some of the things that you might or might not be available for. So I, I always want to put on the table very early on that I'm not available for a nesting relationship or for those sort of typical mononormative escalator steps, but that I am available for you know, a sort of emotionally intimate and somewhat entangled relationship and that that's that's really what I'm looking for. Sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, you know, I can say I'm I'm really kind of more feeling that this is a casual kind of situation and that's good to put on the table as well. Exactly. Letting people know, oh, in this case, we're already friends and I'm looking for adding some benefits to the situation. Right. Versus, like... You know, this is something new that we're exploring, and the ceiling of where I can get to is emotionally entangled. The floor of where we can get to is unknown. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Absolutely. And I, th- I think on the subject of kind of the, the, the hierarchy and or lack thereof and things, like, I think that's an important, quest- important conversation to have early on as well, because people can have very different stances on this, of course, and someone, someone who is really... Someone who is really... F- far down the relationship anarchy end of the spectrum is not likely to be a good fit for me but also someone who's like here is a seven page document of all of our rules and I can only see you on alternate Wednesdays on a full moon or whatever also not going to be a good fit so I I want to make sure that I I mean our views on it are going to be slightly different because I think everyone's views on it are slightly different but we've got to be in the same ballpark or it, it won't work right Exactly. And if someone's got um, a nesting partner or a primary partner or um, any other kind of significant relationships in their life, something that I always really want to know early on is um, 
what rules do you guys have that will apply to me if I get into a relationship with you and sort of how does that work how flexible is that um, something I always ask really really early on now is is there a veto and if there is a veto that's a deal breaker for me I, I won't be in relationships with people who have veto anymore yeah I'll when I have that conversation my answer to that is is the veto time limited in what way is it time limited because if it's a short enough duration where it's like, well, my partner can express serious concerns in the first month that I'm seeing someone and then I'll stop. Mm. But beyond that, there's not. I'm a lot more willing to, like, give that a pass yeah. than I am a not time limited or a, well, they can veto for anything at all and I immediately listen. Right, absolutely. And, and honestly, I, I'd like to date people who, if, if, their, if their partner had a serious reservation about me or someone else they were dating for some reason I, I i want to date people who would listen to that um right people who would at least examine that right exactly not necessarily that they just end the relationship on their partner's whim but that they would at least pay attention to that because often i think the people who know us really well our partners and our close people can be very good sources of information and yeah. can, can see things that we maybe don't see um mm -hmm. but if there's a if there's a straight up no, I don't like her, you have to get rid of her, veto, and especially, as you said, if it's if it's not time-limited, if it goes on for more than, like, two or three dates, then that's a, that's a hard no. It's a little much. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly, and as I said, asking about the rules as well, because I want to know sort of what what limitations are going to be placed on me, and are they going to be... Are, are the, is there anything problematic in there? Right, are there things that I can live with, but maybe aren't my ideal, and if so... How much say in them am I going to have later if we hit a point where I'm included in negotiating those? Right, exactly. Or are they rules that are closed to them but then affect everyone else? Yeah. I'm a little less cool with that. Absolutely. And how, and how kind of tight and specific are they as well? I mean, honestly, at this point, um, my nesting partner and I have a sort of set of... I don't know, there's probably like five to seven core guidelines that we operate on and everything else is details whereas uh, which is sort of negotiable at the time it, if, mm -hmm. if it's more like the the sort of multi-page excruciatingly detailed document of exactly what positions i'm allowed to have sex in on what days or whatever then that's more of an issue yeah when it seems like people are doing this in a way where they're like in order to feel special you may not go to these four restaurants have these kinds of sex, do this kind of thing, because all of that is retained and special to me, Yeah, I have a little bit harder a time feeling like that's compatible with how I live. Right, absolutely. Um, and I, th I know that that's something that I've kind of subscribed to more in the past, actually. And mm -hmm. it was really something that when I had built a sense of internal security and a sense of security in my relationships and kind of real real genuine trust and security that was based on I know this person loves and values me and wants to be with me rather than based on I am special because these things are reserved for just me that yeah. just didn't feel really necessary anymore yeah I definitely 10 or 12 years ago uh, in my relationship with my ex-husband had like the list of rules mm -hmm. sort of situation and we gradually just kept peeling them off as time went on right same Actually, absolutely same yeah 
and like I use restaurants as the example because that's one of our like sillier rules that fell apart in a more like wait why did we have this rule kind of way um I've told the story on TikTok before and it sort of blew up because people were like what do you mean you had a rule about restaurants but simultaneously there were like people who were like yeah of course you had a rule about restaurants why should you have to change your rule because someone else wanted to go to a restaurant it seems to be a fairly common one actually i've seen it a lot it is. um yeah i think lots of people are like this is an easy small tiny thing but then your partner starts dating someone who also has the same favorite restaurant yeah. And you have to examine it and go, like, well, is the restaurant really the point? And the restaurant is usually not the point. Almost always not. Like, every once in a while, someone really needs that particular kind of dumpling to be theirs. But, like, that's my personal example. It was a dumpling shop that was around the corner from our house. (laughs) And I was like, it's so close to home. It's so convenient. It's where we go together and where we go with our friends. We should not be bringing other partners there. And then I was like, wait, but it's like all of our friends' favorite, and I want you to be able to get your partners to know these people, so I can't really determine that. (laughs) But yes, that's always my example of the oddly specific rule um, for that reason, because both we had it and then it fell apart, basically because we started seeing other people who also enjoyed it. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Um, A weirdly specific one I encountered in one past relationship was for a while, certain kinds of sexual contact was allowed, but orgasms were not allowed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was... It's like the opposite of the pretty woman That was a real one for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. Like, because I've seen in doing uh, peer support and coaching, I've seen lots of people with very oddly specific rules that I would not have foreseen. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't heard that particular one yet, but I'm sure to go along with all of the, like, you may not have anal sex with anyone else (laughs) sort of (laughs) rules, you know, it's right on the same level. And there are a lot of people who are like, well, I can't stop you from having feelings but I can stop you from doing that one move you like. Right, exactly. They've kind of internalised the truism that feelings can't be legislated, so they try to legislate acts more to make up for it, almost. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where I see how it's made hierarchy get a bad name because people don't like other people legislating what they can do in relationships. But I simultaneously see how it can be really comforting when you're rewriting an entire relationship to go, well, we're building this whole brand new relationship with each other, but I want to feel like nothing has changed. So please don't touch these various areas Mm -hmm. until I'm ready to let them go. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I, I do think that it's understandable when people are very new to non-monogamy or when like the, the situation that my partner and I were in where we were both kind of coming back to it after some less than great and you know honestly probably traumatic in some cases experiences mm-hmm. um, and that in those sort of instances I think it's really understandable that people come into it with wanting to have lots of rules and wanting to have the kind of certainty or the kind of illusion of certainty that those that those restrictions give and I I always really try to approach people with a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding when I mean 
sometimes I don't always succeed sometimes I'm kind of, I'm kind of internally rolling my eyes and going oh god not this again but I, I really really try to approach it compassionately and that's something that in the the groups and the forums and things that you you just see people getting jumped on and what I want to kind of do is like sit down with that person and you know have a cup of coffee with them and be like okay I get this I've been there I understand here's some of the reasons why maybe it's not going to achieve what you think it's going to achieve and here are some ways that you might want to consider achieving that instead right I want to like give them the Jessica Fern talk on structural safety in your relationships and be like that's not how we build security yes let's talk about these other ways that we can build security because doing that and building security in your attached relationships is really the way to gradually move away from so much structure and I feel like I shouldn't place that as if it's a goal because for lots of people having a bunch of rules just works right and if it really works for you and for the relationships you're in adults can agree to anything they want to agree to sure and I'm sure there are some people out there who for whom everyone in because when people say to me well it works for us the question I always ask want to ask is who is it working for is it is right. it working for everyone involved in the relationship or only the initial couple that opened up but if it is genuinely working for everyone like great knock yourselves out have fun I have no issue with that right one of my friends who's been on the podcast several times Corwin is he loves being a secondary partner to other people who have specific rules mm-hmm. Because his theory is he knows exactly what role he's signing up for. Mm-hmm. And so he's very comfortable with, like, I have these long-term, committed, entangled relationships, and then anything else I do, I would like to be quite secondary to someone who has quite a lot of rules so I know exactly where I fit. Right. And to me, that mostly sounds terrible. But I can see how it works for mm-hmm. him. And so if it's working for the people he's with, too, and they're not, like, on another part of that polycule, like, straining against the rules, great. And it really is that thing of, if it's working for everyone, it works really well. When it doesn't, how do you take it apart without feeling like you're beating up the relationship that you made the rules for? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we also see a lot, and I think that's something that people a lot of people who've been doing it for a long time have maybe forgotten is they get so they get so intent on kind of tearing down these these rules and these hierarchical structures and things that they the the, the sort of the original partner gets kind of thrown under the bus and i think that's particularly true if one i mean we're talking here about a situation with a couple that's opened up which i know is not always how it works but it seems to be often how it works if especially it's if, pretty common right exactly i think especially if one of those partners was either a little bit more reluctant or maybe took a little bit longer to kind of get there and get to grips with non-monogamy as a thing um and honestly i think it's really gendered i think it's really really gendered i think it's usually female spouses and nesting partners who who get thrown under the bus in these um in these discussions right we well part of it is that our socialization tends to make it so that women are a lot more upfront about what they're feeling about things so when men are having problems with it 
they shove it down, they don't talk about it, they wait until it's a point of rage, mm-hmm. and then they anger about yeah. it. And when women do it, they're like, oh, I'm having all of these feelings, let's talk about them, let's process them, let's reprocess them ad nauseum, and let me make some rules so that I can stop processing these things at you. And while that's certainly not the case in every relationship, it's at least a common enough pattern that when you have, like, cishet relationships opening up, you get this pattern that evolves out, and people go, oh, controlling wives. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's not... In real life, I think it's a pretty even split of who is actually the person who's coming to it slower and being controlling. Right. But when you look on, like, help forums, it's almost always gendered like this. Or women going, which rules can I make to protect my feelings in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes the rules that cis men try to make in those situations, which, you know, the, the, the dreaded one penis policy being a classic example... Mm-hmm. They often get more of a pass, actually, than women trying to make some kind of equivalent rule, which is really interesting to me. Right. I think they get... Partly they get more of a pass because there are more women who are out as bi, and so people can pretend that those are fair rules for longer. Yeah. Regar- yeah, like, I don't think that's a fair rule in any situation. No, me neither. Totally agree. Like, hard, hard, hard limit. Nope. Right, but I end up knowing more women who are willing to stay in a one-penis policy for long enough that we know what it is, mm-hmm. versus men who are like, well, of course, I can have a boyfriend and you can have a boyfriend, honey. Just, you rarely see it shake out that way, even though you occasionally do. Yeah. Or, like, with men having more trouble finding dates through apps and stuff generally, when that happens, they're usually blaming their own, like, oh, I'm just no good at finding a date versus women who tend to have enough options that it becomes clear that they're restricted. And again, it all comes down to sort of social, like, influences on the way we express gender and sexuality Mm -hmm. that really... I think we should be unbuilding all of it, but, like, we're not yet. Um, Let's tear it all down and start again. Just burn it down, it'll be fine. You know, we're living through the fall of empires right now. It seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) The world is on fire. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Just light an extra one in the place you want it. (laughs) And rebuild later. It'll be fine. We'll just scorch the earth first. Yup. I I have this thing I bought at Pride at the weekend um, that reads, uh, I've got 99 problems and white heteronormative patriarchy is basically all of them. (laughs) That's amazing. And yes big mood (laughs) and really that's the thing is just the further you get from a monogamy or a monogamy plus one situation Mm -hmm. right the fewer rules you tend to have or the more you're like no I must protect the appearance of this situation we were in in monogamy let me build up some walls which is part of why you see all of these like beginner mistakes of being like we're gonna unicorn hunt (laughs) right because monogamy with extra steps makes a lot of sense to people yeah absolutely and i was and you you probably saw i was talking about this on on twitter this morning i think you replied in fact um i was talking about this on twitter this morning I, i don't personally i don't see the point of setting a closed relationship as your ultimate polyam goal that seems mm-hmm. to defeat the 
point to me like what why why would i open up my relationship with the goal of having a close relationship again that seems strange right like when folks happen to find someone and they're like we're going to settle into this configuration if that's where you settle fine but going into it with the goal being like let's find our couple best friends and get together with them and be in a closed quad for the rest of time yeah i don't get no, it no i think going in with that as the goal is is yeah deeply strange and like maybe it's just that i'm sluttier than average people but <laughs> same though i don't i don't see the point of being like well i had said i could have one penis for eternity let me get two and someone's vulva. It'll be fine. Yeah. Right? Like, it's the same situation. Right, exactly. And honestly, one of the things that I value the most about non-monogamy is having that openness to experience, even to things that are maybe unexpected and maybe relationships that wouldn't work in a monogamous context, maybe relationships where this person would never be my one and only forever and ever we could never live together we have you know our, our styles of nesting or managing money or our feelings about having children or whatever are so different that we could never be compatible mm-hmm. in that kind of lifetime relationship way but maybe we have a great time for a few months or a few years or maybe we have a great time for longer and it's just a more casual thing it's it's that openness and that ability to let things be what they are and i feel mm-hmm. like searching for a person to add to make a triad or two people to add to make a quad or whatever it is it's just going back to that i've got to find my one and only forever and ever who ticks all the boxes and it's Mm -hmm. that it's closing off that openness to other experiences right it's saying well one person couldn't meet my needs but two can Mm -hmm. and then stopping at that and we don't have to I think the idea of not having to settle for that and of, like, letting your friendships be slightly bigger than we normally let friendships be, or deeper, or what have you, is one of the best things about being non-monogamous. Like, things don't have to fit into an easy box unless they happen to. Right, absolutely. And and to be clear, I think that what what I'm saying here with this, this idea of finding people for a closed relationship and that will be it forever and ever i I think that's very different to kind of temporarily closing something down or temporarily kind of i guess taking yourself off the dating market for want of a better description um for other reasons i mean i've been um i've been kind of off the, the dating scene for a few months because i had this really bad breakup towards the end of last year and i just needed some time to heal and get through that and so I just for a few months I was just like no you know what it's not it's not gonna happen for now and that was fine and and obviously polysaturation is a real thing as well and people people hit that at at different points and honestly for me like right now my my polysaturation point for serious relationships is like two max um but that's because my job and my PhD and my primary partners right now yeah, I feel like because my kids are so little, they subtract a, a like, relationship's worth of energy right. out of Absolutely. me. So my polysaturation point is, like, a person or a relationship lower than it would normally yeah. be. 
And I know lots of other people who sort of have big life things like that. Oh, while I'm doing this degree, it's one thing lower. While I'm having these kids be this certain age, it's lower. Right. It'll get higher again in five years, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I suspect that my polysaturation point will go up when I finish my PhD. But for now, it's, it is, it is what it is. And yeah, I've heard very similar things from a lot of people who are parents or people who are you know maybe managing health issues or all that sort of thing I mean mm-hmm. I've definitely had points where my my polysaturation point has been lower because my health has been bad and mm-hmm. there's all these things that that can impact that and I think having that awareness of yourself is very very important yeah and so if you're like incidentally in a closed relationship for now or for a couple of years at a time we don't mean you we mean the people who are like I have this overarching goal. We're going to find our unicorn and settle into this yeah. closed triad, and it's going to be rainbows and sparkles for the rest <laughs> of time. Spoiler alert, like, it will not. Right. No relationship is actually rainbows and sparkles. No. For any real length of time. And also, it's really hard to maintain closed networks. Mm. The more people that are in it, the more roles you sort of put yourself into for each of your partners. And so it becomes a thing of, like, sometimes you need some degree of change and figuring out outside things to then come back and be your best self in those relationships. And insisting on closing it doesn't always help with that. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, everything you just said. (laughs) Yeah, that's why... I'm the person who's like, oh, so you're thinking of closing things up to fix a problem? Who are you fixing the problem with and for? Right. That's mm, that's really true. I, th- I think, okay, so you, you're, you're familiar with the kind of relationship broken, add more people school of coming yeah. into polyamory. Maybe like relationship broken, subtract people is the flip side of that and doesn't work either. Right. So like the relationship broken, subtract external relationships only works if it's extremely short term right you're like well for three months we won't see these other partners and those partners agree to it yeah and that part is critical and they think it's actually better for you right like because often it's that one person is like i feel neglected we need to close up this is terrible And then they close up, and the partner who agreed to the closing up is resentful because they've dismissed other relationships that were going well. And just there's this point of who is actually being served here, much like you said with the rules, who is the rule working for? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's it's working for everyone, great. Yeah, but if it's the idea of a relationship over the people in a relationship you're probably not helping that much. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. Mm. The idea of a relationship versus a relationship itself, that's really good. I like that. Because, like, actual relationships are between the two people and necessarily meet needs and hopefully wants as well of the people in Mm -hmm. them. Whereas the idea of a relationship is, like, we are here seeking our rom-com happy ending. We have deviated from that path. We must stop and go back to the point we were at and then continue building upward. And generally that doesn't work because you're building an idea and not something with the person you're with. Yeah, absolutely. Generally, generally unlikely to work well. That's one of those things that I see in those Facebook groups pretty often is the thing of like, 
Are you sure you both agreed to open up? Why don't you close and figure it out? And it's like, have you considered whether or not these people are in other relationships and how those folks will feel? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and that that's the really, I think that's the really kind of dark side of the very hierarchical or the very kind of couple-centric approach is it's very easy to forget that there's these other people involved who have feelings and needs and deserve to have those heard as well. Yeah, it's the thing of you're in real relationships with real people, so keep that in mind. You know, it's not the idea of a unicorn that you're dating. It's a living, breathing human. And maybe that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make in all of this, actually, is going into it with an idea rather than people and approaching it as we're chasing this ideal or this particular structure or this vision of what we think it should be rather than connecting with the actual humans who are right in front of us right and, and really that that seems like the heart of the thing that we're talking about yeah. and i mean god my my polycule doesn't look anything like i sort of imagined it would when i first started out doing this it's it's wildly different um but it's better because it's real and it's organic and it's it's great right even when it's messy it's better to be messy and real and there for each other right absolutely yeah totally and like i feel like my polyamory and the polycules i'm in have looked different sort of roughly every 18 months that you could drop in it's like oh yes we've changed these things about the structure Oh yes, this person started dating four other people and suddenly the entire polycule goes off into the sunset. <laughs> you know, oh, there's been a contraction, but like also we have friends who are super close who refer to themselves as a polycule whether or not you're actually dating. Well, that's the thing. Like, where are the where are the edges of a polycule? I mean, I definitely make a very strong argument that my best friend who I am not sleeping with is an honorary member of our polycule because they're the closest person in my life apart from my nesting partner mm -hmm. um and yeah and so it's where do we draw lines of relationships what do we consider important enough to be included in this and all of those are things that are very personal considerations for people so when uh, somebody had posted on twitter talking about how do you define your polyhule and i was like is someone asking for like sexual health purposes or is someone asking emotional socially? Yes. I, I mentioned my polycule. So, so I, my, me and my nesting partner and his girlfriend have a group chat for the three of us. Um, mm. mostly for planning shenanigans and sending each other stupid memes. Mm. Um, it's great, but I just, I just mentioned this in the context of my polycule the other day to someone I'd met at, at a munch and, um, and she said, oh, how many of you are there? And I was like, well, in this core group that I'm talking about in this context, three? In my wider polycule, eh? How are we defining? Like, anywhere between five and... I don't know, because after three, three connections away, I lose track. Yeah, like, it's that thing of you get far enough out and it's not sort of personally important to you, but if you were drawing it from just one space over you might get someone who's really into being deeply socially connected with people. So like, I have a friend and ex who has, you know, like a 60 person discord server 
that he calls his polycule, even though, like, in actuality, he and his wife are each dating, like, three people. That's delightful. It also sounds exhausting. Right. And, like, it's awesome because it's great community, but if you actually had to keep up with the ins and outs of every one of those people who live across, you know, three states, it's just a lot. Right. There was one point where I was dating someone who had a lot of partners. I think it was six serious partners and then Mm -hmm. various other sort of more casual relationships. And I tried to like draw my polycule, you know, how you do, you like draw the diagram to explain it to someone. And and I got to Mm -hmm. like two connections out from these people. And I was like, I actually don't know these people's names at this point. This is like the partner of a partner of someone I met once. I don't actually like technically they're in my polycule, but who? Right. Where does it end? And so you have to pick, relative to yourself, who you're invested in to figure out how it ends. Exactly. And I think for me, it's very much like it's my partners and my metamors, because I do do really value being friends with my metamors and having kind of this sort of more kitchen table poly kind of set up. Beyond that, like, um, I think it was you I learned the term telemors from. You use that in your book, Mm -hmm. right? I do. Yes, I hadn't heard that one before, but I like it. I think what I stole it from Paige Turner at Polyland. Oh, she's also great. Um, I think when it's getting to like telemores and beyond, then I'm like, I will make an effort if they're really cool and we really click on a personal level. But I'm not going to try and make friends with all of them because, good God, I don't have time. Right, exactly. If we're at a party and now we're friends, then we're friends. And incidentally, I know that that's our relationship if you drew a chart. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm not going to like go and try and sit down and go for coffee with all of them like I might with a with a metamor because I just mm-hmm. don't have the time and the energy. Yeah, it's just it ends up being potentially a lot of people. Yeah. Um and so the idea of being like, you know, we're kitchen table enough that I want to know that we all get along and that if we get invited to things it won't be awkward. But is it my top priority? Maybe not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um And I think kind of generally the idea becomes who are rules serving, what are our habits leading towards, and like how do we check in with new people that those ideas are compatible. So if you're having your little compatibility chat with someone, it turns out they have the right number of rules or not rules, but then they're like, oh, but I'm really strictly parallel that might make them incompatible with you. Right. Because of the way you prefer to operate. Yeah, mm, the parallel the parallel kitchen table thing is really interesting and I know I know it's not sort of necessarily just those two diametrically opposed options and there's nothing in the middle. I know right. it's, it's but kind it is of a, a spectrum. spectrum between them kind of. Yeah. Um but something I mean for me like if my metamors don't really want to hang out or become friends or really spend much time together like I th- that's okay I I don't I don't love it it's not my preference but but like okay I can live with that um if it's like they never even want to meet me or hear my name um yeah. then that's going to be an issue like if they if they won't even meet me long enough to for me to get like no they are really okay with this and there isn't actually cheating going on then it's not going to work um, right. so this, this the, the again. full don't ask don't tell is like a little much it, yeah exactly and and I yeah I've I've done that with kind of more casual stuff but I wouldn't go near that for a serious relationship it just feels like too much propensity for things to go wrong or for someone to be kind of not really quite telling the truth about what's going on 
Right. And for me, it's that combination of that and that when someone's doing that and doing a high hierarchy combination, I'm like, oh, so you have a primary who doesn't want to have anything to do with me or hear my name. Mm. This is a red flag. Yeah, this sounds this sounds like a classic poly under duress situation, and I am not here for that. Exactly. So it's not a thing where all hierarchy means that there was polyamory under duress, or where all parallel means that. But when you get the two in intense combination, and someone not really being able ahead of time to explain exactly how they do things, except wait, I have a seven-page document for you. <laughs> It's a little too much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and honestly, at this point, um, I I really prefer kind of systems of guidelines over hard and fast rules. I think I think like a few can be okay, um, but I, I mean honestly, I, I would say at this point that the only kind of capital R rules that my nesting partner and I have is like don't bring anyone else to live with us and don't get into financial and legal entanglements with anyone else. Beyond that, like, it really kind of boils down to... So, okay, so we have th we have this, like, absolute core principle that we've operated on right from the beginning, which is that any any agreement that we make applies absolutely equally to both of us. So mm -hmm. it's, it's no double standards, tell the truth, practice safer sex, and don't be a dick. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, and that covers a lot of ground. It's great broad guidelines, right? So... The idea is that you can make up whatever broad guidelines you need and then apply them to all of your relationships as you need to, so long as there aren't double standards. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I've I've been in relationships, um, including the aforementioned five and a half years with the married guy, who um, were essentially boiled down to they were allowed to do whatever they wanted and I was allowed to do very little. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, like, one of my kind of hardline boundaries, things I will not tolerate, is someone imposing a double standard on me. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate you coming and talking to me about all of these ideas around getting into sort of the meat of how hierarchy works and how some of these other delineations and rules tend to work out in practice. Mm. Because a lot of times, I feel like here on the podcast, we're talking about very theoretical things and today we were able to really dig into some practicalities right it's it, this stuff is endlessly fascinating to me um do you listen to the multi-amory podcast i do um i was listening to one of their recent dish episodes today you may have heard it where um they had a listener write in and ask if they could if there if there was such a thing as an ethical hierarchy and one mm -hmm. of them i think it was emily um was saying about how there seems to be this sense that like hierarchy equal good non-hierarchy equal bad whereas actually like it's really possible to do a more hierarchical structure in a way that is ethical and it's equally possible to have a non-hierarchical structure that's being run in some really weird and unethical ways yeah, um, you can run any system in an unethical manner there is no like virtue or indication of the health of the relationship in either how hierarchical you are or how entwined you are yeah absolutely and i think i think the more that we kind of decouple those things from each other and talk about different structures in a value neutral kind of way as long as everyone involved is enthusiastically and freely consenting and mm -hmm. then talk about kind of how to have ethical relationships which is a and th this is this is a thing i've been thinking about a lot recently and this is why i've switched from using the term ethical non-monogamy to consensual non-monogamy because i think actually ethics mm -hmm. are fucking complicated 
Um, it's really complicated and it's really situation dependent. And then you get into all of the messy details yes. where people can disagree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so, and it's, it's not a simple straightforward, like this is ethical and this is not. And I think that the more that we embrace the messiness and the nuance and the fact that it is actually inherently really complicated. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, my, my partner and I recently kind of renegotiated some of our mutual boundaries and agreements around safer sex practices because we, we talked about it and we realized that actually this is too complicated to have anything more specific than, well, it depends, we'll talk about it on a case-by-case -case basis. Right. It's one of those things where the vague guideline is actually better serving you yeah. than a specific rule. Yeah. Because the specific rule might need to be bent in a given circumstance. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it might actually not do any harm to bend that specific rule in that circumstance. Um, and, and, and I just think, I also just think that allowing people to be adults and use their own judgment is is actually a really big part of this autonomy thing that we talk about. Keep arguing about. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's giving people agency at the end of the day, which I think is really, is really important. Yeah, and I think this thing of it's not that having rules or having a hierarchy inherently gets rid of your agency. Mm. It's that the ways you choose to apply them matter a lot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And so we end up with people doing this, like, hierarchy bad, non-hierarchy good thing because they're like, well, that's the simplification. Mm. It's like, okay, but relationships are messy and real, and therefore we can't simplify that far. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing that I just really kind of, whether they're monogamous or polyam or any, anywhere on the massive spectrum of relationships, I just want people to understand that relationships are complicated and humans are complicated and... We should and embrace it's that. It's okay to be complicated. Well, that's part of the fun, right? Right. I think There's it is. There's no point in doing it if we're going to perfectly understand it and tear it to bits. Right. Exactly. The kind of rom-com view of romance, like, actually, that looks really boring. Like, oh, we have to be a script? No thanks. Nah, you. nah, not, not into that. Not worth it. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining me to take apart these scripts. And uh, I will suggest that everyone follows you on Twitter. Uh, and I'll include that in the show notes for folks to find it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you. I really enjoyed this. It's been great. Thank you. So again, I want to thank Amy for coming and being a guest and encourage all of you to follow her on Twitter at Amy is Polyam. Uh, for my blog and social media, you can find the links in the show notes. But... It is readyforpolyamory.com and readyforpolyamory on Instagram and TikTok. Also on Twitter, but on Twitter, it's got a number four instead of the word. Uh, so as always, uh, I hope that you all have a great week and I will see you soon.